this you just don't get, huh? Lord, let me know if you got us. Preaching about profit. It ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. It ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to the goddess. Got it. Goddess, got it. Hello and welcome to the Strong Women Power Hour, your podcast and radio show to encourage, educate, and empower you on your path through womanhood. Hello, friends. Hello, beautiful listeners. So wonderful to be with you today. I am so excited to share this podcast and this conversation uh, with you. Uh, it's with Patricia Lynn Riley. Ah, oh my God, I'm getting ahead of myself. My goodness. Of course, I'm your host and women's empowerment specialist, Kelly Hickey. I'm the director of Strong Women Co., a company designed to help women be their strongest, happiest, and healthiest selves. We have one-on-one programs, online workshops, we do speaking engagements, keynotes, speeches, workshops online, corporate, and more. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for daily inspiration and motivation. Loving all the conversation and love happening uh, in Facebook. And of course, join our free tribe to connect with women all over the world. Links in the show notes. And please make sure to subscribe to our podcast uh, to get up all of our upcoming shows. And anyone that you know who could benefit from the message of this podcast and our general kind of empowering podcast, but this one in particular I think is, is really special. Because it deals with everything um, women deal with as we uh, mature um, and kind of just get to a place where we aren't exactly in the so-called youth category anymore. Uh, and in the patriarchy, of course, that makes things a little uh, a little more complicated than they should or a lot more complicated than they should be. Uh, so as I, as you may know, if you're a longtime listener, uh, welcome back. And if you're new, welcome, welcome. I'm coming to you from a city just south of in, uh, Amsterdam of the Netherlands. Uh, but I am a Newfoundlander and Canadian um, who is enjoying time in Europe now that we can move around. Oh, thank goodness for uh, vaccines. Um, just got back from vacation in Switzerland. It was utterly amazing. Um, the fresh air, the mountains, the water, the people, the food, everything. Uh, we just thoroughly enjoyed ourselves, and it was the recharge that we were we were all looking for. Uh, and it was just it was just enough of home um, to make us uh, to fill up our cups. So that was really really great. Um, so I'm gonna just do a, co- a little breath here now. Let's gather ourselves all of ourselves, all of our pieces that we've left behind, let's just consciously bring everything in because I know it can be a pretty fragmented life in modern day times, myself included. So just calm your breathing, close your eyes if you can. We're gonna do one little breath there together. One big breath, breathing into our nose, nice and calm but steady. Hold and let it out with a sigh. Now, doesn't that feel better? So, as I mentioned before, my guest today is the esteemed author and thought leader. Uh, It's Patricia Lynn Riley. Uh, If you've listened to previous podcasts, including our Empowerment Jams, um, Songs of the Summer, and for the rest of 2021, there was one of her poems was highlighted. It was the first in the Empowerment Jams. It was Imagine a Woman. 
This is kind of a famous poem. Um, a lot of people have taken pieces from it. Even Patricia Lynn had taken pieces of it and expanded it into books. Um, but in particular, the part here, it says, imagine a woman who honors the body of the goddess in her changing body. A woman who celebrates the accumulation of her years and wisdom, who refuses to use her life energy disguising the changes in her body and life. And this was the, uh, uh, is, is the uh, three lines that I kept thinking of in our, my conversation with Patricia Lynn. And it was such a thrill uh, just to have her on, on the podcast and be able to have a conversation with her. I'll leave a list of her uh, several books titles that will be in a link in the show notes. But here is a short little bio of uh, Patricia Lynn Riley. She has her Master's of Divination. Uh, she says, this is her bio. As a humanist chaplain, Patricia has been inspiring women for over 30 years. Her iconic books, poems, and trainings have traveled around the world and convey powerful women affirming processes. Woman affirming processes, yes. That was my ad lib. <laughs> With heart full intelligence, inviting each woman to author her own life, body image, and self understanding. Her current focus, Meaning Quest, weds that strong body of work with the absolute necessity of living mindfully in this challenging age. Mindfulness transforms the wars within us into peace we seek. Inspired by her daily walks in the natural world, Patricia honors the trouble and beauty of life through her photography and writing. And it's uh, www.meaning-quest.com is the link that she gives. Some of her books is A God Who Looks Like Me, Discovering Woman Affirming Spirituality, Be Full of Yourself, The Journey from Self-Criticism to Self-Celebration, Imagine a Woman in Love with Herself, Embracing Your Wisdom and Wholeness, I Promise Myself, Making a Commitment to Yourself and Your Dreams, Words Made Flesh, An Anthology of Poetry and Prose, A Deeper Wisdom, The Twelve Steps from a Woman's Perspective, and Love Your Body Regardless, From Body Judgment to Body Acceptance. Uh, and those are the books that um, she gave me in her list. Um, a very thought-provoking, nourishing, dismantling, uh, just wonderful feminist, strong women uh, kinds of ideas and concepts and proof and women's stories and women's words. Um, and it, it, it's just, uh, it's wonderful uh, to have such a, a wise woman who is talking about such important things as Whoa, my goodness, a revolutionary aging naturally. And uh, I think that we can all admire the, the bravery of women who choose to not color their hair and embrace their bodies. Um, and if you're a listener uh, who's like that, we, you know, cheers to you. Yes, let's have more women who accept themselves in such a way. Um, and it's, it's, it's important that we see uh, an accurate depiction of, of women in nat naturally aging so that we, we know that is an option. So I love this conversation with Patricia. I love the uh, idea. I love how it took her uh, until, until she was 70 to really embrace it. So it gives us um, a lot of kind of um, information on even someone who has done the work like she has and continues to do it um, and, and knows the truth about the patriarchy and dismantling it and, and writes about it and, and writes and, and records other women's words and all this, the patriarchy, obsessions with youth really does kind of 
make us use so much of our life energy to hang on to this idea of youth or what youth is supposed to be. Um, you know, but what it comes down to it is um, you making the decision for yourself and being aware of, of the pressures and being aware of the costs uh, of, of, of both um, adhering to the patriarchy and of course there's costs to um, uh, going against what the patriarchy tells us. So uh, I, I love this conversation. I, I love this, this concept um, that's being spread around and, and uh, it's empowering women um, all over the world. And it's something that um, every woman can and should think about uh, so that they can get more comfortable with themselves, reclaim who they are, um, and, and, and just be very merciful. Mercy comes up a couple of times in our conversation. But to have mercy on yourself, mercy on um, everything you've been through, and then also to celebrate the accumulation of your years, because not everybody gets to get older. Uh, it is it is a real privilege and uh, you know it, it's a wonderful option uh, to be able to embrace all of those changes and and to not spend time um, hating yourself or uh, hating pieces of your body or, or or anything about you because you are just as you should be um, and we should be able to embrace ourselves as the complete whole we are. So you're gorgeous and beautiful and I hope you enjoy uh, this wonderful conversation I got to have with this amazing author and thought leader. Um, I really hope you take something from it and please share it with anyone who you think is, is struggling or could be struggling with the whole piece on aging as a woman in this world while trying to be empowered and a feminist and trying to be strong. Um, I know sometimes we can even feel weak uh, when we're fighting against these patriarchal ideas. Um, and I just want to let you know, you know, there's such thing as the male gaze. We, we talk about that all the time, you know, how we're in, in feminist scholarship and other places, you know, that there, there's this gaze of male that we're, we're uh, constantly trying to adhere to. There's also a thing called the feminist gaze. And uh, that's us trying to be, um, uh, I don't know, uh, valuable in through the feminist lens too. So there's all these different gazes um, that I'm aware of and I'd like you to be aware of but what it comes down to is you making informed, empowered decisions for yourself and whatever you decide to do um, with your body, your look, how you interact with the world, that is yours and yours alone. And each of us has a personal journey. Uh, but I love, love, love the, the idea and the ability and the crone, right? We go from maiden mother crone this is the croneness that we should be celebrating and I'm super excited uh, to share this wonderful conversation with you. Uh, please look up Patricia Lynn's books and uh, she does do a call out. If you have anything you want to write, a poem, a blurb, anything uh, that has to do with aging and, and kind of your, your experience with it, um, it could be a celebratory thing, it could be how your challenges with aging, whatever you'd like. Um, if you want to write that to me uh, and send that to me at kelly at strongwomanco.com, I will make sure that Patricia Lynn um, and Trista Hedren of Girl God gets it and uh, so that they could potentially include it in their book. How cool is that? All right, mad love to you. Uh, and I am going to give it the floor to our lovely conversation here now. Let me know what you think. <laughs> Oh,
I am so excited to have uh, the amazing author, thinker, thought leader, <laughs> uh, Patricia Lynn Riley on uh, the podcast today. Uh, Patricia Lynn, it's one of those times in that I just feel like this is a gift from the goddess because um, I actually featured one of your poems, Imagine a Woman, uh, mm-hmm. in a podcast like six months ago. And so I feel like it was like one of those things where you plant seeds and then the universe provides, you know, and, and allows for these connections. And I have to say, one of the things I'm very grateful for in my life is uh, that the universe, the goddess keeps setting up situations where I get to meet um, heroes of mine. <laughs> so, and, and we get to be lateral, you know, and um, that is so beautiful. And it's such a, such a goddess thing, right? Such a woman's circle thing. So thank you so much for being on uh, the Strong Woman Co. Power Half Hour, might be an hour today, often is when we have an awesome uh, speaker like you on. So thanks for joining us. You're welcome. I'm excited. Where where am I talking to you? Something together, which is always fun. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, it's there's a real magic that happens when women collaborate. Um, that's Mm -hmm. undeniable. And uh, you are where are you you talking to me from today? From Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. yeah, the land of lakes, land of lakes, water and fluidity, forests and green growing things, which I love so. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm uh, talking to you from a uh, city south of Amsterdam in the Netherlands mm-hmm. and um, uh, a- another place full of water, the canals uh, here uh, yeah. everywhere. Um, and there's a lot of greenery just because the weather here is just very, very conducive to greenery. But it's a lot of it is man-made. And I say man-made, not human-made, because it is it was done, even the forests here were, are, were planted hundreds of years ago by kings who decided that they wanted forests um, because of the land, of course, I'm living in, um, wants to be reclaimed by the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. fascinating place to, to live. but surely reclaiming it all. So, <laughs> And then us humans just keep fighting it. It's a, it's a fascinating, being human is fascinating, I, 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 will, uh, I will say. Um, so I was so excited to have you on uh, the podcast just to connect with you um, uh, because so many of your works have been formative um, in some key moments in, in different movements, including like, you know, uh, uh, besides uh, like specific things like self-love or self-awareness. Um, and uh, as I mentioned to you in an email over, I just got back from vacation and I had gotten um, uh, a God that looks like me um, uh, before I went. I read about a third of it. Uh, I, I did listen to your caution in your email because uh, it does it does get down to a lot of formative things that can be hard to to read if you're not ready for it. But I've done a, a lot of work, um, and it was just it, in a lot of ways it was just reaffirming uh, a lot of the things. But the truths that you drop, I just love it. You know, like these these truths of um, uh, you know unpacking so many different uh, things we take for granted, like, even if you didn't grow up religious, there's still this idea of the male God. And, and, and that can be, um, emanated from uh, what, what your parents' relationship looked like. And, you know, mothers having to pretend they were not as strong and smart, um, Mm -hmm. as they were, uh, just to not, not, um, uh, poke a hole in the male ego. So I, I just loved, uh, I love so much of your work 
and I'm very excited about this upcoming work that you want to tell um, tell us about. But uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, before we dig into Silver Threads, which is super cool, what yeah. would you like our listeners to know about yourself besides that uh, bio blurb that you sent me? Um, for the earliest time in my life, I fell in love with words. So words have always been a part of my life. I've written since a journal since I was in elementary school and thoughts and ideas and words provided a sense of control during a traumatic uh, childhood from birth to about 13 was extremely traumatic. So it makes sense that I sought ways to control that which was literally uncontrollable. And words so became, became a really close friend of mine. And as I've, you know, I wrote the books, I, I gave expression, which I think those of us who are writers and who pay attention to our journey are called to, to offer that, universalize it, invite women into those processes. Um, but it's been interesting how my heart has healed over time, you know, that, that the mind was a safe place for me because I couldn't go to my heart. It was too broken um, with both father and mother taken at an early age and the experiences that I had. And as I have healed into the present, I really feel that I've moved in my photography to images that enliven me beyond the experiences of childhood, you know, as a human being and as a fully awake um, person to my environment. So images have been extremely important and I love photography and I love being present with the visual environment. So my books now are like photo books, <laughs> you know, poetry and photo books. And also because my heart is healed um, in a deep way, mindfulness is a really powerful and silence are, are very powerful practices for me and have uh, deepened the healing in my being. So I put out a lot of words early on, you know, uh, my mind was just like dismantling the patriarchy for myself. So I just wanted that to be out there and take what you want and leave the rest. But if it's supportive and it was for many women and it was deeply transformational because we had to go to the root of things. And we have to go to the root of the patriarchy within us and around us, or it's just a superficial sort of lava and, you know, make believe healing. So I put out those words and they were transformational for me. I still read them. I read the stories of women in my books uh, because they're like a sacred text for me, mm -hmm. of the journey. So just to hold my writing in the context of a much wider life experience, and that was a really important time, uh, it, it sort of culminated my 
um, cultivation of my mind from the time I was in the orphanage with the nuns. They saved mm -hmm. me, they saved my mind. Mm -hmm. But I've grown, I've healed, and I feel like my poetry probably and my photography more reflect the healing that I've experienced into the present. But I'm grateful my daughter books are finding their way, mm -hmm. you know, into birth biologically. So mm -hmm. I have daughter books and they're out there and folks like Trista were, you know, read those books and experienced transformation and are doing awesome things in the world. So I'm very grateful for my daughter books and then my granddaughter books and my great, you know, I have That's so beautiful. Um, Yes. Yeah, so and uh, yeah, shout out to Trista Hendren of Girl God Books who brought us together. Uh, yeah. yeah, Trista writes me an email. She was or uh, Facebook message. She's like, Kelly, do you know who Patricia Lynn Riley is? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm I, I'm a feminist. Uh, you know, interested in um uh, goddess scholarship. Uh, mm -hmm. and she was like, would you like her to to talk to her for your podcast? I was like, yes. Thank you. And it was just like one of those like, oh, thank you, goddess, for the beautiful yeah. connection. And I, and I do find that um, women like yourself and women like Trista, um, and, and I guess myself as well, is we are so happy to connect. We are so happy to share um, because that is part of the work, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and it's part of dismantling the patriarchy because the patriarchy puts us in silos and tells us that, you know, your individual life does not matter. And it's, and that's the beauty is, is in your words, but I, I also love it's, it's, it, your, your books are your words, but also just the collection of, of women's stories, uh, which is just so feminist. It's so the consciousness raising. It's so like the kitchen table talk. It's, it's so how femi the feminist movement, you know, uh, it continues and how it began was, and I always say, I always go back to the personal is political, the political is personal. It's like what's happening to you is yeah. happening to other women. And um, uh, we can even even very different women in very different parts of the world with very different experiences. We can still see each other's um, just pieces of each other and pieces of our story in each other. And that's so beautiful. And I think that's really what uh, a lot of the work is, is that is, is finding that similarity. Right. Mm -hmm. Finding our commonness. Um, uh, when I did my master's in uh, women's studies, it was kind of a time of um, feminist scholarship where we were kind of fraught trying to figure out, you know, there was a lot of talk of difference. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, like, like a lot of the white feminists, they were trying to cling on to, but there's still so much, you know, do we have to talk about difference all the time? And then of course, uh, what is now, uh, uh, current feminism, um, uh, any women of color or different backgrounds were like, no, we have to talk about difference. And so there was this struggle going on at the time. And now I do believe it, we've largely pushed past that and we can, we can do both. And that is what the goddess has taught me is it's, it's never an, an either or. It's always yes and, right? You just always can build on top of uh, it. We don't have to choose and pick whose stories necessarily are the ones that are, um, you know, uh, make it to the mainstream. Of course, in representation, it matters uh, mm -hmm. of, of that we do have women's voices heard and not just white women, not just 
you know, uh, middle-class women, not just educated women. Um, and uh, that's what I also liked about a lot of your work was the different kind of women's stories um, and uh, just kind of noticing their realizations as, as in the conversation, uh, which, which I, I think is in general, uh, just feminist research, right? Like, yeah. And it was a conscious choice not to write to my colleagues in the academic world because I realized that we have to translate the insights of feminist theology mm -hmm. and women's spirituality into a language that is accessible to a wider audience of women. Um, you know, we sort of take pride in our own, you know, transformation, our feminist transformation, but really what needs to crack open is a language and a way to share those insights that touches and moves and inspires women outside of academics to know that they can be free too. And that's why for every book, I drew together women um, into, the, for a God who looks like me, I had um, seven groups with six or seven women in each group. And as we worked through, you know, sorting through religious past, their stories were integral to that and were woven into the text and really central to the evolving sort of methodology that was used, but it was beyond methodology. It was sitting in circles of women and hearing your own story echoed back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I read those stories. Um, there's one that I read about silver threads because I, I, oh, a God who looks like me goes through the truth of a woman's life. So it begins with the girl child and then it develops through the one who shed her blood. And then those who experience rape and incest within the biblical text and then the wise old woman. Mm -hmm. So it always encompasses the whole of a woman's life and attempts to tell the truth of that life, not make believe, not somebody else's story, but our story. So um, I read, I, I, I have a copy of it because I want to read a piece of it to, to the folks listening with us yes, at please. some point. Um, her name was Wendy, and Wendy, um, she allowed, um, let's see if I have it here. She allowed the message to go deeply within her spirit. And she wrote a piece for Be Full of Yourself and a God Who Looks Like Me about silver threads. And she was, 30 when her hair began to shift. And as a result of the work that we did in circles together, she made a choice not to touch it, that being a parent was where she wanted to put her energy, not in maintaining a facade um, and capitulating to a patriarchal demand that we not, you know, we not age naturally that somehow we continue to be attractive for the patriarchy mm -hmm. which covering our silver hair because we do not like that and looking as young as you can look because that's attractability mm -hmm. so the patriarchal construct is built 
on attractability, not on genuineness or authenticity. So she created a box within which she saved those silver threads. And she, I'm writing gratitude notes in this season of my life to all the women whose words I read over and over again, whose mm. stories were told in the books, who have touched me in very specific ways. And Wendy was like my goddess and I wasn't able Although I encouraged other women, let's embrace the changes in our bodies and lives. I had a really hard time doing that <clears throat> with my hair. And I would just keep reading her words and the words of other women. I have some poetry that women sent to me over the years. And I, I would read it until I could step into the courage and boldness and it's really a forbidden act in patriarchy to do some of these things. They seem very superficial, you know, but they're not. They're forbidden acts for women to actually age naturally and celebrate the shifts in our body and lives. So I'm writing thank you notes to the women, how their words echoed, you know, from the time we sat together in a circle in the 1980s and 90s to the books, to my own personal journey, how it has deepened and evolved and grown um, through those words, which I read over and over again. So Silver Threads comes out of that. I think that's a really appropriate, um, and you can teach me how to do a podcast, but I Absolutely. think Silver Threads would be a really cool reflection with women and it really encompasses all the ways that we are taught to hide mm -hmm. you know um hide in retirement mm -hmm. you know hide in coloring our hair hide in not being so full of ourselves you're too old to be out there you know mm -hmm. i was mm -hmm. realizing the other day how few women on news broadcasts do i see with silver hair mm -hmm. um it's just a gatekeeper, not for the men. Lots yeah, of stuff. right, right. What? Yeah, yeah. But for the women. So uh, I celebrate women who, without effort, are aging naturally. I really want to highlight those women in that work because they're phenomenal. When it happened, it happened. And somehow they embrace themselves so totally and with so much self-love that they could allow it to happen. Um, some of the rest of us wrestled with that. Um, and I did too. So uh, I love my silver threads. I don't know why I waited so long. It's like hiding shame. I, I think I think it's actually, for me, just on the outside, uh, mm -hmm. it seems like a the perfect natural progression of your work. Uh, because uh, uh, you can't necessarily, until you experience it yourself, uh, we can have these nice ideas, uh, mm -hmm. but when you are trying to live, you know, genuine and authentic, um, uh, it's, it, it's impossible until you go through it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I just wanted to uh, speak of a, of a couple things. Um, I love the idea. It was, it's so funny when we really think about it, that it's revolutionary to age naturally, like, like mm -hmm. that's like pretty silly. Cause I mean, how long, how long has hair dye and, and um, the, the obsession of youth uh, 
really been around. I mean, it, it's like a century, right? Like it's, it's, it's the representation of like magazines and media and all these things. And they, um, uh, the fetishization of, of youth is kind of what has uh, uh, catapulted us in this way. And of course, not every culture being uh, so youth obsessed, but the dominant cultures in, in that media and European and North America certainly um, uh, do. But um, uh, the, I, I'll just start when you, in your book, I have, uh, uh, I have a list of quotes and everything um, from various women that I love uh, in different files. I know a lot of people do this. And I have one that I've started for divine uh, feminine course that I'm going to put off. And I, when I was looking through it, I saw so many of your, your names that are so cool. Uh, but um, there's one in particular from, um, oh yeah, this is a deeper wisdom, the 12 steps from a woman's perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to read out on um, the little bit of uh, just a couple of paragraphs on uh, about the girl child, because sure. I think it perfectly echoes what, what you're doing now with silver threads in honoring a woman's life for its authenticity, for its truthness, and then also for uh, the revolutionary, revolutionary reality of embracing us as we are without the patriarchy or debunking uh, the patriarchy. So um, it uh, starts off, says, yes, in the very beginning of her life, the girl child is full of herself. Her days are meaningful and unfold according to a deep wisdom that resides within her. It faithfully orchestrates her movements from crawling to walking to running, her sounds from garbles to single words to sentences, and her knowing of the world through her sensual connection to it. Her purpose is clear, to live fully in the abundance of her life. With courage, she explores her world. Her ordinary life is in interesting enough. Every experience is filled with wonder and awe. It is enough to listen to the rain dance and count the peas on her plate. Ordinary life is her teacher, challenge and delight. She says a big yes to life as it pulsates through her body. With excitement, she explores her body. She's unafraid of channeling strong feelings through her. She feels her joy, sadness, anger, and fear. She is pregnant with her own life. She's content to be alone. She touches the depths of her own uniqueness. She loves her mind. She expresses her feelings. She likes herself when she looks in the mirror. She trusts her vision of the world and expresses it. With wonder and delight, she paints a picture, creates a dance and makes up a song to give expression to what she sees as, a nat as natural as her breathing. And when challenged, she is not lost for words. She has a vocabulary to speak about her experience. She speaks from her heart. She voices her truth. She has no fear, no sense that to do it her way is wrong or dangerous. She is a warrior. It takes no effort for her to summon up her courage to arouse her spirit. With her courage, she loves solves problems. She is capable of carrying out any task that confronts her. She has everything she needs within the grasp of her mind and imagination. With her spirit, she changes what she do, what doesn't work for her. She says, I don't like that person when she doesn't. And I like that person when she does. She says no when she doesn't want to be hugged. She takes care of herself. And again, that's from a deeper wisdom mm -hmm. of 12 uh, steps perspective. And I, I loved that so much. Uh, I guess I hadn't really read a lot about the divine girl child. And mm -hmm. I've mostly experienced it with my own child, Violet, who's five. 
She calls herself Warrior Violet, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, and there was so much reading uh, A God Like Me. It was just very affirming to my parenting choices because like Violet thinks, you know, Mary is much more important than Jesus, right? Like it's, she's like, Mary's the queen of heaven. Jesus is a prince, right? Like this is how, this is how it goes in her head. Yeah. And uh, she's really into goddesses and, and all of that. But reading your words, it really allowed me to kind of see the universality of that spark of divine girl child I see in Violet. And I try to celebrate and I do everything I can to, yes, teach her, but never dim that light. And of course, I see my own self in her and, and how my light had been dimmed, um, you know, uh, just by parents, teachers, everybody telling you to, to be um, a, a certain way. So I, I loved that. And I, when I was reading uh, through that yesterday, I thought about how so much about um, discovering your own or working on your own sovereignty and, and uh, embracing all your body's change is kind of like going back to that divine girl child in a lot of ways of, of uh, the dismantling the patriarchy to become that, that true self that has not yet been influenced and censored and and kind of throwing off and and I love the the uh, croneness the idea of um, you know women uh, older women just not giving a crap in a way that younger women seem to and it's like every the older you are it's like the the less crap a, a lot of women uh, seem to put up with and so I, I really like that kind of two bookends of uh, a woman's experience and then in the middle we're finding ourselves, and we're trying to, to um, uh, figure out exactly who we are and how do you exist in this world? How do you have power? How do you have life? How do you reach your dreams? How do you make money? How do you feed yourself? We have all of that in the middle, but we have these beautiful bookends of, of, of truth and, and, and genuineness. And maybe the idea is to kind of just have it more truth and genuous throughout a woman's life as opposed to... Mm -hmm. Just I think it's essential, though, that um, I see it as a twofold journey. So mm. that it's a personal journey, of course, to dismantle because it's as if we had an IV inserted at birth. True. Uh, we were born into patriarchy. So that IV has been feeding us and challenges the authentic life of the, the girl child born. Um, so I think our task is twofold to reclaim that child mm -hmm. at the same time we reclaim the goddess in history mm -hmm. because her story in the same way was twisted out of shape. Yes. So we have a twofold task to walk through our personal past and um, exercise the remnants of patriarchy that live within us that come in very early and challenge that powerful child um, over and over again, telling her to hide that light, to subserviently exist in a world that's really a male world. Um, so we're walking through our personal past at the same time we're reclaiming the goddess um, Eve, the mother of all living, mm. you know, I had to reclaim the story of Eve and Me too. Eve yep. was not secondary. She was, mm -hmm. to, you know, the patriarchy created a mythology where she was taken from the man, a reversal of biological process uh -huh. was one. 
And so we reclaim Eve. And so I have apples all around me. <laughs> I find a way to have my apples show, you know. But Eve is means mother of all living. So mm. they confiscated the yeah. goddess and placed her into those Hebrew myths. So in, so in that way, it's dual as well. It's mm -hmm. a dual process of reclaiming our history and the power of the goddess as an empowering image, truth-bearing image for the female. We need to know our female history, and that includes a time when the divine was mentioned as woman. But we also need to walk through our personal past and mm -hmm. be free of um, the remnants of patriarchy. And I think that's more of an exorcism because it's the way we look at ourselves in the mirror mm -hmm. is shaped by patriarchy. Absolutely. How I define what I look like today historically yep. was related to the patriarchy. I couldn't see myself free of that lens that was critical of my body, my life, my eyes, my breasts, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that didn't fit into an attractability formula that patriarchy constructs within which most, you know, we try hard to, to fit. So that dual journey is really important. And I, I, don't, I don't have daughters of my biological womb, but I have adopted daughters and I know what that fullness is like. Mm -hmm. You know, they're born with resilience and, um, we know that slowly but surely that diminishes as they go to school and watch what happens and, you know, relate to males and certain expectations and quiet down your giftedness. And I was told I was a very gifted uh, young person and in the church, I was invited to speak all the time and lead people to Jesus because I was articulate but I was groomed to be a minister's wife, even right. though I was more articulate than the boys. So the minister mm -hmm. used me to, to sell what he wanted to sell. Yeah. Um, my vocational um, options were very small until I walked away, till I was ready to walk away and had um, dismantled patriarchy enough to dismantle the male God who mm -hmm. holds it all in place, then I was free to make different choices, even vocationally, that uh, were much more in alignment with who I am as a child of life. I, I love everything you say, uh, but in particular, I really like you saying that it is a very personal journey. Yeah, and I would love our listeners to think about their own personal journey and various levels of awakening. And I would also, um, you know, give love and support to women who may not be in a place right now where they feel safe or have resources or strength to question everything because there's a lot of survival. I work with a lot of women in male dominated fields in particular. Um, and uh, there's, there's a lot of survival just to kind of keep going to work and keep showing up and keep showing representation. But um, just thinking about my own my own kind of journey, um, you know, I remember in grade eight, I wrote a um, article on how ridiculous it was that God was male. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it was just seems so silly to me. And, um, uh, and then like, you know, in the first university, my uh, 
costume of choice, I was Eve, but I held up a sign that said I was framed. Right. And I didn't even really understand it. Do you know what I mean? I just like, I, I was just like this, I know Eve's getting the, the crappy end of the stick here. And I don't even understand exactly why, but I just know it's messed up <laughs> and um, uh, just understanding. And, and even uh, being in a, uh, a relationship with a man, uh, my husband, who is a feminist and wonderful man, but we're still in this world of patriarchy where we both have to consciously dismantle and we still have to have so many conversations and potential arguments because it is so deep within so there's all these different kinds of um uh dismantling and figuring out and and recovery that we do but as of lately because uh, I'm, I'm 39 now i don't really have much gray yet uh but um uh the what i have noticed about myself is uh my metabolism is slowed and uh, probably thanks to COVID as well, but um, it, it, there's, there's more, there's more middle spread and um, I've been kind of conscious of it. And uh, your, your poem, when I revisited it, imagine a woman who celebrates the uh, accumulation of her years and her changing body, like the body of the goddess. Uh, that, that kind of just hit home to me uh, last week uh, when I was uh, going through it again. Uh, of, of loving myself in that way. And of course, all of the goddesses that are found all over the world, they're, they're the goddesses, you know, they're tiny with the big boobs, the big bellies and the big butts, right? Like that's what the celebration, of course, the Venus of Willendorf being the most uh, famous. But I, I did my own kind of little tiny, uh, I've begun my own revolutionary acts in my clothing choice choices um, where my whole life, um, I've only ever chosen clothes that were so-called flattering. Mm. you know flat and flattering to a figure and the figure is supposed to be like a virgin right you're not supposed to look like you've had a baby you're not supposed to look like you've let yourself go mm. um and uh, uh as of late i've found these dresses that i really love and they have beautiful flowers on them but they're not exactly flattering mm. in the patriarchal sense and i've bought them this was very subconscious uh, and I didn't realize it until after unpacking all this kind of silver thread talk was like, I was like, I'm not here for the consumption of men. <laughs> you know, I like this dress. I like the flowers on it. It's comfortable. It's flowy. You know, other women comment on it um, uh, uh, saying, you know, like, like the flowers and things like that. Um, so I think like, again, your own personal journey being these little defiant acts uh, of, of figuring yeah. out how, how do you be yourself within these parameters and which, which do you kick off? Which do you say mm -hmm. no more? Are you going to put your dumbass rules on me? I am not here for your consumption. Yeah. And I think that's a very individualistic journey. You know, there's some things I tossed to, I, I never wore makeup my whole life. I grew up with the nuns. I loved the nuns, you know, <laughs> and they saved my life and they saved my mind and they saved me from years of trauma. Um, so I was raised by them and I loved their simplicity and I loved um, how much they loved us, 200 kids who were sort of tossed aside. So back then, the only time I could be a rebel was when I knew my mother was coming to get us, that she got sober and she vowed to have her daughters back. Then I didn't need to be the good little girl, you know? I could 
get the worst grades in conduct mm. I got in all my years at the orphanage after I knew my mother was coming for us at my eighth grade graduation. You know, so each of our journeys is different. And, you know, for me, it took what it took, you know, for certain aspects of that, that dismantling process. I, I dismantled a lot intellectually. I dismantled a lot emotionally. Physically, it was harder, carried trauma in my yeah. body. Mm -hmm. um, so it's mercy. We offer mm. ourselves mercy and, and we're called by our own story to pay attention. Like some folks listening will be ready, like I was during the pandemic, to like say, I'm not going to risk my life to like color my hair. <laughs> the perfect opportunity to. Mm like choose life and choose authenticity and choose what I've wanted to choose for so long and that I've read women's stories about in their poetry to give me strength to do that. Um, so it takes what it takes in our own life journey. And I feel like mercy, self-mercy is so important. Not mercy of a God, but our own kindness toward ourselves and our journey. And that's why I like hanging out in women's circles because it opens me to ongoing opportunities to touch one of those spots that's ready, right? Mm -hmm. I continue to sit in these circles as I have done. When I'm ready, I'll hear that the hundredth time mm -hmm. and I'll be, it, it'll be fullness of time yeah. and it will be done. It is done. So I think it's always better to wait for fullness of time because anything that's done coerced or because that'll make me a good feminist or, you know, I wrote a book about it, you know, there's like, why did it take me so long? But I wrote the book so I would read it again and again and again until the moment because I knew it was truth. So, so I trust that all of us will just hold our own story with such reverence and trust that in the fullness of time, we shed what we need to shed. We transform in areas we need to transform. We welcome our body as it shifts and changes. So I think self-kindness, compassion, and mercy are really important. Yes, absolutely. Uh, mercy is probably one of the uh, most beautiful real words, mercy and surrender. Um, but uh, just to kind of um, throw the net wide and, and to make sure anyone listening um, uh, feels supported uh, and encouraged is, you know, uh, going great isn't for everyone. And there will be women, um, of course, who, um, I mean, the patriarchy is set up now that um, older women lose power. There's uh, so many uh, writings and, and, and talks about how older women become invisible. Uh, uh, there's in, in um, uh, Frank and Gracie, I don't know if you watch that on Netflix, but they make a joke where like they're shoplifting and no one even pays attention because no one even sees them. Um, so uh, the, when um, uh, Monette Chilson of uh, uh, Girl God Books, she was doing one of the workshops on with Lilith, which mm -hmm. I, I got to really 
understand my judgment of Eve by understanding how much I put Lilith kind of the, the character, the, the spirit of Lilith, even if I didn't have her name on a pedestal, <laughs> I judged Eve in my, in the patriarchy that was intravenously give to me, gave to me. Um, but in it, we were talking, uh, there was a specific uh, video they showed uh, in the course about this older woman. And she was talking about, and she was a beautiful, thin white woman. Um, and she was talking about how hard it is for her um, to see herself in the mirror and all this. And it's like, breaking my heart whenever I hear a woman talk about herself at all like that. And a lot of the conversation in the group was talking about, you know, um, how we should, of course, embrace ourselves naturally and all of this. And, but to have the real conversation is we also have to acknowledge that um, to hold on to a certain kind of power, particularly if you're in a certain kind of career or, or a certain kind of position, um, uh, sometimes you have to work within the system that we have and you do that in your own terms right mm -hmm. so that um uh it, it, it's if you dry your hair you're not a bad feminist right like uh jane fonda is not a worse feminist than um uh anyone else who 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 uh hasn't gotten uh the i don't know what plastic surgery or whatever she gets but um uh, that's what i kind of just want to allow room for everyone's experiences and this is fairly revolutionary in our terms to even be presented the option to have your hair grow out and to embrace your body and to allow there to be room for your own growth with that idea. Uh, and I think so much happens in feminism that's like, you know, you plant those ideas and then like a year later, things have exploded. So uh, I'm, I'm super excited and it seems like a real natural progression for um, uh, the next uh, a piece in um, uh, the women's kind of awakening of the world is for us to talk about uh, that last, our last act for, for lack of a better uh, yeah. category. And like, so I think that, you know, we worked on a lot of taboos to talk about first periods and periods mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. I think we're still kind of talking about birth because I gave birth and there was so much that no one told me. <laughs> so much um uh you know even just like how, how much you bleed after like there was just there was just so much that is is still very in silos in in this this individual mm -hmm. so i think we're still working through that but more and more women are becoming more aware of like the power of natural birth and all these things again uh whatever woman chooses that that's that's um uh, i support uh women because i understand that women know themselves uh but yes this next piece of um embracing uh, menopause and what comes after because even even uh, i'm 39 um uh, you know menopause is the next few years or whatever um i know very little about menopause and I have sought stuff, you know, I, I'm, I'm a reader, I'm an educator, I'm a researcher and, and I it, it takes work. So it's not yet in the mainstream. So it makes total sense for me, to me, that this is the, a, a topic that someone like you who's tapped in and the personal is political, the political is personal. This is where we need to go to talk. Well, just to a caveat that women are adapt choosing to adapt to the patriarchy mm -hmm. so that has to be acknowledged yes, no matter yeah. what we choose to do on the spectrum so if in order to keep one's job one has accepted that that won't happen and there'll be financial consequences if one allowed one's beautiful silver hair to show uh, that's that's self-sovereignty you make that yeah. choice 
But the larger issue is why do we even have to do mm-hmm. that with your male colleagues? You know, that's what patriarchy does. It privileges the male, even in his aging process. Mm-hmm. And it requires of the female that she twist herself out of shape and twist her aging out of shape in order to fit in images constructed by the patriarchy that keep women busy yeah. doing all of that stuff that's related to image while they rise in the company, in the news organization, because they don't utilize their energy that way. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing a male comic say, you know, we look in the mirror when we're 12 and we say, ah, okay. And we make peace with what we say. <laughs> you know? it's like, Whoa. It's Whoa. like, you know, women, not women. He was talking about <laughs> I know, men. I know, I know, so, I know. You know yeah. 12 or 13, maybe 14, we look, we say, okay, that's what we got to deal with. We'll handle it. It's okay. And that's the last <laughs> conversation they have about it. They don't spend any money, mm. you know, to, to deal with that. They don't uh, twist themselves in any way. It's like, we look in, we say, fine, that's it. I can, I'll deal with them. But a women's woman's experience is very different. So there's, you know, women are, like as you said, in many different places with different requirements. But the truth is they are being forced to adapt to a patriarchal construct yeah. if that's the set of, you know, if that's yeah. the decisions they're making. And it's why some of us choose chose to create our work mm-hmm. because um, we wanted to operate without those constraints and without those drains on our energy, you know? So I think a lot of women have used their creativity to create alternatives to, you know, the patriarchal constructs um, and done a good job. Yeah. You know, yeah. But I'm right with the ones, you know, I made the decision, you know, very late. I'm 70, so that's a long time, you know, for me to like have that percolating inside of me Um, and feeling like a total, you know, feeling embarrassed, you know, that I I couldn't do that. Uh, So it takes what it takes. But it's related to the patriarchal environment in which we live. They were very different. Yes, yes. And again, the personal journey. One of my favorite podcasts out there is called The Guilty Feminists. Uh, Deborah Francis White, she's a British um, uh, comedian. So like the Mm -hmm. first half of the show is always funny. And then the last half is informative and real feminist issues. Mm -hmm. It's very good. I highly recommend. But um, uh, how she starts off is uh, every episode is I'm a feminist, but... And it's kind of like this real world realities um, of, of I am a feminist, but these are the things that we have kind of on feminist ideas or behaviors or whatever. And it's just a good, mm-hmm. honest conversation. So I have a, I'm a feminist, but <laughs> I, I'm a feminist. But when you told me you were 70, my knee jerk reaction, because I live in the patriarchy and, yeah. and this is genuine, is to say, you can't be 70 because you don't 
looks yeah. 70, right? And it's yeah. so, it's like, and I do that. And I, and I say it whenever it's genuine, when someone tells, a woman tells me her age, because I know it does for most women makes them feel better to I think, to hear that they look younger than their age. But again, that is of course yeah. uh, the patriarchy that tells us that we have more value because we look younger than our actual accumulation of our years. It's fascinating, right? So I'm going to give you a great comeback for that. Please, please. Lori Steinem said, the way you answer that yeah. is, I'm one of the ways that 70 looks, acts, and it's mm-hmm. in the world, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm also one of the ways that no surgery, no makeup, yeah. Yeah. no finely silver head looks in the world. So I, when that comes at me, which comes at me often, and I think that's one of the reasons that I allowed the fact that I always look 10 years younger. It's been since I was very young. So it's like I went to graduate school, I was 30. Everybody else was 22, but nobody knew that I was 30, right? And then when I dated guys, you know, they found out that I was actually eight years older than them. So age look looking younger mm-hmm. in the patriarchy is a privilege, it's an asset, right? Yeah. And so what I realized with my hair was that I was still holding on Mm -hmm. to to that 10 years younger, that privilege, you know, and it was, it took some conscious dismantling of that for me to realize that this was like going to be the evidence that I was 70, but now I, I have similar hair and people still, they go, you don't, you, you don't look like you're 70. And then I say, Gloria Steinem says, I am one of the ways this oh, yeah. looks and feels and is in the world. Yeah. So yeah. 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 It's, it's natural. It's, like you said, it's one of those autopilot things that, that IV inserted mm-hmm. at birth. Yeah. That younger is, is better. Yes. And, and even if you are a feminist and even if you're totally, uh, you know, a, a, awakened, there's still some part of us that um, uh, likes that asset, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That that you just mentioned. So uh, specifically about the silver threads, um, is yeah. it is it my understanding that uh, you're um, looking for uh, submissions? Is is do you want to just talk about it about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, Tristan and I are talking about it because I'm basically um, been incorporated into a girl god platform Mm -hmm. so um i'm hoping that it will include a podcast and um just an invitation to women to join us on a conscious aging journey whatever that means for them so you know just stay tuned trista will we don't have the infrastructure completely set at this point but i'd invite the folks listening to this podcast to think about your own story. Mm-hmm. And if you're inspired um, to write your fears, your triumphs, your challenges in whatever form, and because a book will be included in this platform. So gathering, and I've been gathering for years stories. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to read one of the poems that a woman sent to me about her silver threats. So we'd love to gather um, from your listeners if they're moved and inspired in some way to share their story which is so important um we'll provide kelly with the 
the information that's needed for them to submit that. So it'll be both a book and hopefully a fun podcast and we'll invite your comedian so she can keep it light at the beginning for us. <laughs> so we'll that amazing. Together. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do find feminists in general are pretty funny. <laughs> I don't think we get a, a, a we got a rap of being really serious, but I think again that's yeah. patriarchy. Um, in general, if you are aware of injustices and realities, you gotta laugh or you'll cry, right? And there's nothing wrong with crying, but sometimes laughing feels feels like the good thing. And um, I've already been percolating a, a, a submission that I want to put in for this silver linings in, and it's really helpful in my own journey. So I'm super excited. Um, good. Good. about about that and any listeners um uh you can just email me at kelly at strongwomenco.com um and I'll, I'll connect you up uh if the infrastructure is not there uh right now uh but did you say you have a poem you wanted to read i have a poem Yay. i would love to read so um i've got it here one of the women that I met in women's circles back in the day in the 90s in the Bay Area, Laura Siegel, um, I put out way back then, tell us your stories about hair stories, you know. Um, and so she wrote this piece, it's called Natural Hair. It's mostly gray with white at the temples and a fringe of white around the neck. My ears show. I was always told to cover them. You have big ears that stick out, but I like them bold and out there, picking up the sounds that filter through the air. Rhonda shaved my neck and used the thinning scissors to trim my sideburns. They lay feathery and white beside my ears. Men stare at me, women too. The other day, a man, soft, white hair crowning his head, leaned up close and whispered in my ear, your hair is so beautiful. I threw my arms around his neck, proving that short silver hair enhances intimacy. A woman with a soft smile and wrinkles around her eyes said to me, your hair is so lovely. I told her how long it took me to stop coloring my hair black. I was afraid I would look bland. I thought no one would notice the fire of me. Now my son tells me when I was 30, mom, you look so old, you really must do something with your hair. And now at 31, he says he loves the patterns my natural hair makes like soft clouds embracing my temples wisps floating from the edge. The woman said, I'll do it, I'll do it. You've convinced me to let my natural color come out. But I wasn't trying to convince her. I was just being myself, smiling at her, looking deeper than her coppery red hair. Her smile, that my smile. Mm. Thank you, thank you, Laura. That that was uh, that was so beautiful, yeah. just a little snapshot. Um, yeah, yeah. Of a, of a woman. And there are reality. others too that we'll share, but that one's been with me for a long time. Mm. And I just one more thing I'd like to honor um, is the first time this came to me was in nineteen 
95 to 2000 when I was on book tours for a God who looks like me. And I spoke at a church in Delaware and this woman, she was a 30 something woman in her family who was sitting in the front pew. And she approached me afterward and I commented on the loveliness of her hair. And she said, I keep it gray for my daughters. I want them to grow up loving everything about themselves. So I've had to be willing to love and accept myself. My actions speak louder than my words to my daughters. Her husband commented on the challenge of her choice. Friends and extended family don't make it easy for her, he said. They tell her, you look, you'd look so much better and younger if you color it. And she's often the only one with gray hair in groups of women. Sadly, in a society obsessed with youth, our friends, colleagues, and employers often do not support our decision to age naturally. To honor ourselves as we age is a forbidden act. Uh, so I, that precious young mother and the choice she made really stayed with me all these years. And wherever she is, I just honor her. She made a difficult choice at an early point in her life for the sake of her daughters. Well, how awesome was all that? Uh, I hope your heart is as full as mine um, and, and your mind uh, getting clearer and more accepting of, of where you are and where you're going to be. Um, and, and I'm just thrilled at all the seeds we're planting together um, as, as strong women and uh, people who support strong women. Um, I'm just super excited for the future that is is accepting of who we are as we accept and celebrate ourselves. Woohoo! So for the featured song of this episode, every time I have a, um, a guest on, I do give them a chance to offer up uh, a song uh, that can be a concluding song, a song that, that kind of um, brings things together or maybe it's their favorite song. And uh, Patricia Lynn had a suggestion as soon as I uh, asked her, she, she was like, returning by uh, Jennifer uh, Berezin. And I was like, cool. And I, I hadn't even realized I had heard it before. So that is the song uh, that we're going to play. Um, it's uh, really beautiful. Um, it's a mantra kind of chant that was recorded in the Oracle Chamber of the Hypogeum uh, in Malta. And um, this is a, a sacred space that I've, I've seen um, several um, goddess musicians now have recorded in there. You can only imagine the acoustics. It's very, very cool. Uh, it's a 6,000-year-old goddess temple uh, for healing. And um, uh, it's on my list. Uh, definitely can't wait to go see that. Um, and just a little bit about um, the song. It was actually written about in the dailyom.com. So uh, Jennifer Berezin is a uh, Canadian board singer um, and music and spirituality have always been intertwined for her. Ever since college where she spent her days studying feminism and theology and her nights playing folk songs in a local clubs, Berezin has sought to create change from within and without using the transformative power of music. With returning 
Barazin bypasses the outspoken activist folk of her early albums and creates a cyclical album-length prayer of healing that burrows deep into the center of the soul. In the center of the earth, Barazin recorded the album uh, in the ritual space in Malta, a place used as a temple and burial ground by Neolithic people that lived there 6,000 years ago. Barazin brings together traditional chants from around the world to remind us the need for healing is truly universal. This is a song that um, is great for going to sleep to, great to start your day to. It's also a great song uh, if you're doing a yoga practice. Uh, shout out to anyone who does any stretching or yoga or Tai Chi yoga teachers. Um, I've been known, uh, it's been known to be used in yoga classes and people love it. So I will uh, give you this song to leave with you all of the jewels of wisdom that we discussed today. Um, and let, as we think about returning to ourselves, returning to the mother, returning to Mother Earth, returning to celebrating um, ourselves the way we used to in the pre-patriarchal ways, as we heal and grow and evolve and reclaim and surrender and create and destroy and recreate all, all of this uh, to, to be more whole to be more true to who we are um, and to be more full of ourselves as um, Patricia Ling would say in a really phenomenal way. So um, let me know what you think of the song. Let me know what you think of the chant. And of course, if you have any writings uh, that you would like to um, send along to me to potentially be put in the book of uh, accumulated stories of women and women's aging and the celebration and challenges of that, um, I'd be more than happy to send that along. So thanks so much, uh, Mad Mega Love to you. And may you imagine yourself as a woman who honors the body of the goddess in her changing body, a woman who celebrates the accumulation of her years in wisdom and who refuses to use her life energy disguising the changes in her body and life because it's all so very beautiful. Mad Mega Love.